In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Happy New Year. In the church, we're entering into this long season after the Epiphany, that season of light and of revelation, which stretches all the way from the Epiphany, which was back on the 6th of January, all the way to Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent. It's a season in which we are invited to encounter the resplendent glory and the steadfast love of the incarnate God in the person of Jesus, like the wise men who arrived at his birth and the crowds who come out to see him baptized today, like the fishermen who are called as his disciples and those who will witness his first miracles in Galilee, we too are brought to encounter Jesus to see his glory face to face, to hear for ourselves his words of welcome and forgiveness, to experience for ourselves the difference that knowing him can make in our lives. That's what this season in the church year, this season of epiphany, is all about. Now out in the world, we've also moved into a new season, but it's less a season about seeing and more a season about becoming, or at least striving to become. The world moved on past Christmas and entered into what I think you might call the season of self-improvement. Maybe like me, you have some friends who are doing juice cleanses right now. Maybe like me, you have some friends who are doing a dry January. Maybe you know folks who are trying to take on a vegan diet or committing to go to the gym more. I actually got an email from my gym recently inviting me to devote myself to me and to change how I think about self-obsession that I might make myself a gift to the world. I deleted that email quickly. Temptation lurks there. But I have, in fact, tried to go to the gym more. And don't get me wrong. If you're one of those who are trying to fulfill a New Year's resolution, if you're one of those people on a juice cleanse or doing a dry January or anything else, more power to you. God love you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with trying to use the excuse of a new year to tackle long-held goals or to confront those things which we might need to confront. There's nothing wrong with that. Though, as a brief aside from the sermon, I do worry about what happens when we don't actually always necessarily meet those goals. I worry about the stories that we tell ourselves about how we're not enough, about how we'll never be enough, those stories that come from places of shame and guilt. That's a problem. But with that said, that caveat in mind, it's actually not bad the season of commitment and recommitment that the world calls us into in this new year. In fact, in its own way, the church, in her own way, does something not dissimilar. All those stories about encounter, all those folks who bumped into Jesus, they're also stories about how that encounter called forth a response from them called them to commit something, 
elicited a commitment from them and in fact changed them. Those wise men don't just come to see Jesus. They bow down and pay him homage. They offer him precious gifts and they go home by another way, changed. Those fishermen who encounter a grown-up Jesus mending their nets on the shores of the Sea of Galilee don't just have a nice chat. Jesus calls them to leave their old worlds behind and to follow him. And in doing so, they find their lives forever changed by it. In fact, even Jesus, wading into the waters of the Jordan this day, wading into those waters to be baptized by his cousin John, doesn't simply see the dove or hear the voice saying, this is my son, the beloved. He hears and he sees and he is changed too. It's the beginning of his public ministry. It's the source of strength and of comfort that he will draw upon as he heads into the wilderness to deal with the demons there. It's the embrace of the one he calls Abba Father that he will return to again and again and again throughout his ministry all the way to the cross, aligning his will with the Father's and committing to walk in God's ways for those wise men, for those disciples, for so many, for Jesus himself. Epiphany isn't just about seeing, it's about responding. It's about following. It's about committing. Baptism, which we celebrate this morning, is of course that ultimate sacrament of commitment to the Christian life. All of us who were baptized or who will be baptized, are called to renounce the evil powers of this world and to turn to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are called to commit and to recommit to those practices of Christian life, to continuing in the apostles' teaching and in the prayers, to persevere in resisting evil, to proclaiming by word and example the good news at hand, to seeking and serving Christ in all persons, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and respecting the dignity of every human being. They're big things that we commit to. And not unlike my resolution to go to the gym more, we say that we will do these big and bold and wonderful things with God's help. Even in making the promises, we know that they will be hard to keep as all vows are. Not unlike a married couple standing before this altar or an ordinary kneeling before the bishop, we have no idea what will come when we make them. The commitment, the vow itself, is an act of faith. But we make them. We make them. We dare to make them because we know that they are commitments made to the one who is ultimately committed to us. You see, that's that's the profound truth at the heart of this day, the truth at the heart of the sacrament of baptism, the truth at the very heart of the Christian faith. Whatever commitments we manage to make are merely in response to and are always held by the grace and love and power of the God who is ultimately and faithfully and irrevocably committed.
committed to us. What else does Christmas proclaim but that God so loved the world, was so committed to the world that he couldn't leave us alone? That infant king to whom the wise men bring gifts is nothing less than the incarnation of the promise of God's commitment never to be except to be with us and for us. Growing up, Jesus wades into the choppy waters of life in solidarity with us. He has no need to be baptized, but he chooses to be freely as an act of commitment, as an act of solidarity with us, coming alongside we who may feel up to our necks in the waters of life. Coming alongside us, Jesus grabs our hand and leads us through on to the other shore and into the promise of new possibility. In fact, God's irrevocable commitment to us leads him all the way to the cross, sharing that death we all fear so that he could reveal at Easter the hope that awaits us all, that God's love never ends. God's commitment never fails. God's forgiveness can and will erase our sin. God's peace can and will calm our anxiety. God's justice can and will heal this broken world. God's love can and will triumph over our despair. God's life really is stronger than death. God's love never ends. God's commitment to us never breaks. And it's precisely because we believe that and do our best to trust that that we dare to make our commitments. I will, with God's help, we boldly and foolishly and bravely declare, I will remain faithful to this Jesus. I will try to seek him and love him and follow him. I will strive to let the words I pray change the way I live. I will try to use the gifts that I have been given and the precious life that I have to be a blessing for this world. I will, with God's help. And seeing that intention that renewed commitment. As any loving parent might see a child's determination to start again and to do better, God says, yes, yes, you will, with my help. Yes, yes, you will, with my help. For you are my beloved child, the one in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved child, and you are marked as mine forever. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.